All right, let's pick up where we left off last week. <coughs> we were discussing um, the role of worship in the church and how uh, this is a work of God to bring us to a place where, and with a people at a time during the week where we get to enjoy all of the benefits and all the privileges uh, of the redemptive kingdom, where we get to come together as God's people and uh, enjoy uh, the fullness of what God has given us here on earth uh, as his people, that we can enjoy uh, what uh, he has called us to eventually, fully and totally and completely in the new heavens and the new earth when we see its fulfillment. But here and now, uh, in this place at this time, that this is uh, the coming together of the church corporately, uh, we get to experience together a foretaste of heaven, uh, a, a bit of the redemptive kingdom as we live uh, as a people, as citizens here as of the common kingdom. Um, and so we, uh, we kind of ended our discussion there uh, with regard to the commands of worship, what God commands of us. Um, because uh, we as God's people have been called to something specific in our worship from God's word. And the last thing we talked about was um, that while God covenanted with all mankind uh, in the Noahic covenant to never flood the earth again, uh, that covenant did not include any uh, specifics about worship. However, when God covenanted with his people, uh, with, his, uh, uh, with his bride, ultimately, is what we see, uh, that he did give them very specific commands with regard to worship. In fact, we have um, an entire law code, the ceremonial law, which was devoted to how the people were to worship. And from that, uh, we derive specific principles for the church today and how we are to worship. And this is what makes, uh, part of what makes the church very distinctive in the world as the people of God in the midst of the common kingdom. Remember we said we're sort of these little outposts uh, all throughout the world where we can go and experience uh, the kingdom of God um, in the midst of a, a busy and broken world. Um, it's a place of rest and refuge and uh, delight and enjoyment and a place where we uh, commune with our God. Um, but God is very specific in what he wants us to do as we gather together. Uh, he's very specific in how we do those things. But there are also things that if we are to be uh, thinking through what those elements are that are going to be influenced by the culture within which we dwell. Um, so let's begin with, let's think about first, what are the things that God's word clearly identifies as what we should be partaking in uh, as we meet together as the corporate body uh, of the church? What things are required of us? Okay, public reading of the word of God, right? Good, what else? Prayer, yes, and uh, various kinds of prayers. What kinds of prayers are we to offer in our worship? Confession, supplication, thanksgiving, adoration. 
So these are the kinds of prayers that we want to be offering, and we seek to do that weekly as we gather for worship as well. So we're praying uh, prayers of thanks and praise and adoration before the Lord, uh, acknowledging who he is by his word. Uh, We pray uh, prayers of confession where we confess our sins corporately and individually. Uh, We pray uh, prayers for others, for those who are sick and suffering, for um, civil leaders, for missionaries, uh, for God's work throughout the world, for the lost, all of these things. We're called to pray for in the scriptures. Um, so these are the kinds of prayers that we offer. So we have a public reading of the word, prayer. What else? Yep, the preaching of the word. Um, actually, the reformers and the Puritans um, disagreed on whether or not this was the uh, the most central thing in worship. Um, A lot of them said it was, that preaching was the most important part of the worship gathering, but some, like Calvin, thought otherwise. Does anyone know what Calvin thought was most important? The Lord's Supper, right. That everything led up to communing with God in the Lord's Supper. Um, So he he thought that that was most important. I, I I don't have a dog in that fight. I think they're both important, so we'll just stick with that. Um, uh, but uh, preaching, nevertheless, is uh, the primary means God uses to communicate his word to his people um, and to call sinners to repentance. Uh, so the preaching of the word uh, must be present in our gathered worship. What else? Go ahead, Charlie, and then Jeff. Good. Uh, Twice in the New Testament, we are commanded to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What is the difference? What is a psalm? Yeah, scripture. We're singing from the book of psalms, right? The, The biblical songs that have been given to us. And we do that. Sometimes you don't know that because they're called something else, but we're singing uh, we're singing psalms uh, pretty regularly. Uh, hymns. What is a hymn? Okay. Yeah, generally that's, uh, uh, <laughs> that's how we think about it. It's a song that has, uh, it has no chorus. All the verses are distinct. Um, so you think of a song like um, a Mighty Fortress. It has four lines. They're all different. There is no chorus. There's no bridge. There's no refrain. Uh, Nothing we go back to uh, that we repeat. Uh, So that's a hymn, okay? And a spiritual song would be anything else that we would sing uh, and find appropriate to sing within uh, the church. So these three kinds of singing are commanded of the church uh, in the New Testament. And we see multiple examples of it in the Old Testament taking place. So we have uh, reading of the word publicly, prayer, uh, preaching, uh, singing, and what else? Jeff, you had something. Yeah, good. The ordinances, the Lord's Supper and baptism. Uh, These are commanded of us in the New Testament. These are things that the church is supposed to partake in. And I would argue, and uh, we won't get into the specifics as to why uh, here and now, but I would argue that (coughs) those things are to take place only in the gathering of God's church corporately. 
uh, that God has appointed individuals to administer those things and to, um, to um, oversee the administration of those things. And uh, so that happens when we gather together corporately. Um, and I'll just leave it at that for now. So um, the ordinances, Lord's Supper and Baptism. Anything else that we should be doing as we gather corporately? Yeah, good. There's one uh, optional one, <laughs> and it's optional because Paul himself uh, kind of mentions it as optional, but uh, it, does, uh, it takes place at least in one of the churches that we know of in the New Testament, and that is the collection of an offering uh, to offer up for, uh, to meet the needs of the church and of the uh, community. So uh, you'll go to some churches that... Um, have an offering and like us and others that don't um but i assure you they're still taking a collection just by other means um but uh that is an acceptable part of our uh our gathering for worship anything else we miss anything what's that yeah good uh, we gather as a church for mutual edification that's what paul says in first corinthians that's one of the primary reasons why the church gathers um, that we would be edifying one another, um, enjoying the fellowship of the church. And that's incumbent upon all of us using our gifts uh, for the good of, of the church. Anything else? Yeah, I was going to ask, why don't we do uh, puppet shows and have interpretive dance? <laughs> because Billy can't dance and no one wants to see that. <laughs> Bottom line. It sounds silly, but I'm not making that up. Those are things that actually happen. Uh, why don't we have plays and, uh, you know, we're a very visual culture. Why don't we uh, have plays and puppet shows and dance numbers and things like that? David? Okay, so we are, we are looking at what we like and trying to incorporate that into the body of what's going on in the church instead of asking the more important question, which is what? <laughs> what does God want? Right. And Go ahead. Yeah, good. Uh, Steve brought up the golden calf when Aaron made the uh, golden calf uh, with all the people while Moses was on uh, Mount Sinai. Um, probably a more, uh, even more specific apropos example would be Nadab and Abihu. Um, they went into worship and they did something on the altar. We're not exactly sure what, but uh, by all indications, whatever they did was something that God has at some point commanded um, but they did not do it in the manner in which God desired. So they offered a sacrifice. There's nothing said of the sacrifice other than that it was, when they offered it, a strange fire. And what did the Lord do with Nadab and Abihu as a result of their strange fire? He killed them. God cares about how we worship him, uh, and that should serve as a very important example of that. Russ, did you have something? Yeah, <laughs> never, never turns out for the best. Sam? Yeah, that's a really important aspect of this. Um, God has not told us that these elements of worship are, um, are done away with in the new covenant. 
there are aspects of uh, the old covenant done away with in the new, um, but God has been very specific in what those are. Um, and primarily, if you read through the book of Hebrews, you see that. You see what things he has pointed to and said that was for a time and a place and a purpose, but those ways of worshiping in the temple or in the tabernacle have been done away with because of Christ, um, because the curtain has been torn in two, and uh, we now have access as uh, a body of priests, a priesthood of believers who have full access to the throne room uh, to worship God. So these are elements of worship that are, according to the scriptures, and ought to be a non-negotiable. These things we've mentioned, these need to be taking place in the corporate gathering of the church. Now, not all of them are going to happen every week. Uh, the Lord's Supper says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Uh, there's some disagreement about exactly what that means, but we uh, understand that to mean that it's not something that's commanded of us every single week. Uh, some prefer that, others don't, but as often as we gather together to take the Lord's Supper, we do so in remembrance of Christ. And obviously baptism, uh, I would certainly love to have baptisms every single week, um, but uh, we do that as the need arises. But again, that happens in the corporate gathering of the church. Um, it's under the authority and the direction of the local church. Um, anything else outside of that um, is uh, in terms of actual events taking place in worship are not commanded of us. And so we need to be very careful um, to consider everything we do and whether or not it is acceptable. Now, this brings us to ask some other questions. And this is where the piece about the cultural influence comes in. What are things that we do in our worship that is, um, I would say, necessarily influenced by the common kingdom that we live and dwell in? We meet in a building that has lights and air conditioning and all that sort of thing. Is that required of the church? Nope, we could easily be outside with uh, hopefully umbrellas right now meeting under a tree and, um, and we could do all of these things that God has called us to do. Um, we see that throughout the New Testament um, uh, that that was happening. But we also see the church having large gatherings and actually renting uh, out facilities, Paul would, to go and to preach and to gather the people together for that. Uh, so that's uh, one example. What else? Uh, dress code, yeah. Well, uh, the fact, um, yeah, um, I have preached in bush camps in Nigeria where the whole front row is women who are nursing their children, um, and they come ready to do that, if you know what I mean. Um, I don't know that that would fly so easily here, um, and that is a very cultural thing. Now, as they mature as Christians, I would want to emphasize uh, the necessity for modesty and things of that nature. Um, however, uh, you probably would never even uh, see that happen in the first place in uh, our context, whereas there it's a very common practice. Uh, so uh, the thing, the very things we wear, um, you know, most missionaries, when they go into a new culture, they're not going to go wearing the things that they wear back home when they get there. Uh, when they're preaching and ministering among the people. They're going to adapt um, 
to uh, what the people are wearing as they uh, go about their daily lives. And uh, we do the same thing in Nigeria to a certain extent. So, um, yeah, what we wear is is something. So uh, suits and ties, if that is your, uh, if that is your taste, uh, is not something God calls us to. It is something that the culture has uh, called appropriate for, uh, for these kinds of gatherings. Um, and so uh, there, there is something to be said for modesty and for coming prepared and uh, those sorts of things as we gather for worship. Uh, but that's a principle to be applied and not a hard and fast rule in terms of what we wear. So yeah, that's clearly influenced by our culture. What else? Yeah, good. Uh, the way we uh, sing songs and the style of those songs. Um, I thought about doing an example of this for us. Um, is there anything in the scriptures that tell us uh, what style of music we need to sing in? Let's, let's ask it this way. What about what do we need to be concerned with in our music when we decide what we are going to sing and how we're going to sing it? What are the things that matter in that? Okay, good. First and foremost, most importantly, the content of those songs. Are the words we're singing, are they theologically sound? Are they correct? Um, Do they honor God or do they put the attention on me? Those kinds of questions we need to ask. Good, that is the primary concern content. What else though? Okay. Is, is what we're singing understandable? Um, so for our context, um, I think uh, an important question is uh, whether or not it is in our language. <laughs> uh, and that may not seem like such a big deal here, but when you're in a, a culture that is uh, much more um, eclectic, we need to be thinking about that a little bit more. What is the predominant way in which the people are going to understand uh, the things that they're singing in the language, the the mother tongue of the culture that you're in? Uh, That's a very important aspect. Uh, So I wouldn't go to uh, a Tiv camp in Nigeria and um, mandate and uh, insist that they sing in English because I am there. Um, they need to um, to look at the predominant tongue of the people, and uh, that needs to be uh, what they're what they're singing in. Um, what else, David? Good, yeah, exactly. So uh, our time of singing, our time of music, is that we are actually singing. We are singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. It's not a musical interlude uh, where uh, all the musicians get to uh, show their their talents um, and their skills. And we're thankful for those. We appreciate those gifts. We delight in them. Uh, But the call on the church is to delight in uh, the beauty of singing. And who are we singing to? To God and to one another, right? We are exhorting each other through song. We are reminding each other of the glories of the gospel, of Christ, of his word, and of all of his marvelous works in redemption and creation. Uh, so when we're singing, we're not, it's not just sort of this uh, me and God, and I kind of get in my comfortable place of singing, but I'm singing to you as well. And through these words, I'm reminding you of uh, who God is and what he has done. 
That's a very important element of it. Uh, what else do we need to be thinking about in our singing? Sam? Good. Now, this can get a bit more subjective. However, uh, it is a principle that we need to think through. Are the words matching up with the actual sound of the song? In other words, uh, the big question here is, are, are those who are singing going to be distracted because uh, I'm singing a very um, a contemplative song in, uh, uh, in the, to the tune of Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee? Um, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit. Uh, we need to think about those things. And so uh, sometimes there are songs that have been written and uh, the two just don't match up. Uh, so that's something to be thinking about. Is the music distracting from the word? Good. What else? Uh, another one uh, we have to think about, and probably most people, unless you're actually trying to prepare music for people to sing, is, is it singable? Uh, is it, you know, most people who come to church are not, um, they don't take voice lessons, they haven't been in a choir, they haven't had a lot of experience learning how to sing and all of that sort of thing. Uh, that used to be the case a lot more than it is now. Um, so is it something that we can actually sing together or does it have, uh, you know, does it require you to be Whitney Houston to make it work? Um, there's, a, there's a significant difference, right? Uh, now I know Charlie has Whitney Houston in him. And he can do it, uh, but uh, that is not a song probably we want to go for uh, that the congregation would seek to sing together uh, because we, we want something that uh, we can pretty quickly catch on to uh, so that we can do the things that the music is intended to do. Um, what, what about, um, is there anything... Um, distinctive or holy, I guess we can say, about a specific style of music? I see a lot of no's, but why? (laughs) What are your thoughts on that? Okay. Yeah, so uh, music inherently works on our emotions. Um, We can't get away from that. It, It simply does. Um, so we're going, we're going to experience it in different ways. Um, go ahead, Sam. Good. Yeah, so we don't have specific direction. You need to sing this in the style of, uh, it, this needs to be from the Baroque period, um, and uh, so it needs to identify with that. Yeah, Tyler. Yeah, exactly. Um, very uh, obviously in how we do these things, um, uh, the piano had a time when it was invented. Uh, Prior to that, how did the church sing? Well, not by uh, instrumentation of a piano. Uh, They used a harp or a lyre or um, those sorts of things. The harpsichord was popular for a while. I'm really glad it's not anymore. Um, (laughs) uh, Organs, organs have been very popular in uh, church music, and they sound, uh, they sound majestic in, in a lot of ways, but uh, they're not inherently um, uh, holy in and of themselves. Jeff? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm probably not going to sing holy, holy, holy in the style of death metal um, because it doesn't match all of these other principles we've sought to apply, right? Is it singable? Well, no. <laughs> 
Uh, so that's out. Um, but does it fit? Does that make sense? Um, it, it just doesn't. <laughs> um, but there are other ways perhaps I can do that. Um, kind of time? We have 10 minutes. Let's try this. All right, so let's try this together. We'll sing the first verse as we normally do, and then I'm going to change it up on you, and you can tell me if this changes anything in terms of what we're communicating with the song. Um. with me. This rhythm. (laughs) Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, early in the morning my song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 all the saints adore the wrong words. God in three persons, blessed Trinity. All right, so that last would be something uh, that I would hear in Africa. Clapping, drums. Um, Does that change the communication of the song? If I add a simple um, jazz riff in the middle of a song, does that change the communication of it? Maybe slightly. Does it make it less holy? Or acceptable for worship. It certainly can, and when would it? If what? If it were distracting. Good. It's probably a bit distracting were we to try to introduce a style of music to a culture that is completely. Um, It's completely foreign to them. Uh, That would be a distraction. Um, And so we, again, there's a principle there that needs to be applied. Charlie? Yeah, some of them are now actually in Christ Alone has just been added to a bunch of hymn books. Um, There's something... Great. I think uh, we think of it this way. One, Amazing Grace was once contemporary Christian music. <laughs> um, so that's one thing to remember. Two is that um, we, we don't base a song's worth on whether or not it's old or it's new. 
We want to ask, is it good and right or is it uh, bad and wrong? Um, And as a church specifically, one of the principles we've sought to apply is that we have a full expression of the history of the church in our music. Music that was written long, long ago all the way through to music that is being written today, that we see the full breadth of history played out in our music. And I will say one more thing, and then I'll uh, get to your comments before we close out, that um, part of all that as well is there, I think there is something important, at least on some level, of honoring the original intent of the one who wrote the song, that we don't change it so much that it becomes completely unrecognizable. Uh, that it's a, a different song altogether. Um, so, uh, because most writers of good music to sing in the church have all those principles in mind, they've probably already thought through those things. And so, uh, it's, it's worth considering before we go changing everything up. Um, I think Ed and then Russ, and maybe that was it. Go ahead, brother. Some of, some of the oldest music of the church is some of my favorite, and uh, we've, we've sought to incorporate. We have, we do though, we have a large repertoire of music now that we've, uh, we've tried to uh, incorporate those. So sometimes we do better than others, but um, you know, things limit us too in terms of what we're capable of doing because of instrumentation and things like that. So it's going to sound different as well, but uh, Russ... Yeah, good. And, and that's a very explicit uh, command uh, from the Lord in his word, that we do all things in our worship in order, right? That it is, uh, it is not out of order. And, uh, and Paul there specifically is speaking to those who were uh, trying to sort of outdo one another in the gathering of the church. Uh, they were trying to get up and say what they wanted to say and do their own do their own thing, and it was all out of order, and they were trying to outdo and speak over one another very disorderly. And uh, you can find that in many places today as well. So um, anyway, we're out of time, so I need to pray so we can close and get our kids from Sunday school uh, prior to worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for our time to gather together. We pray, Lord, that you would be with us in our worship today, that we would know of your presence, that we would have great joy in your word and what uh, you are giving to us from your word, that we would delight in all of the elements of worship, that we would delight in the prayers that we pray, the songs that we sing, the word that we hear uh, proclaimed and read, in our uh, giving to support uh, your kingdom advancement through the world and in our community, and in the fellowship of the saints as we gather together to edify uh, and enjoy one another. And so we pray, Lord, that in all these things you are glorified, that our joy is, uh, is full in Christ, uh, that our hearts are stirred up to greater affections for Christ, and that we would experience true communion with Christ because we have been unified with him as a body of believers to enjoy the redemptive kingdom here amongst the people of the common kingdom. Uh, Lord, help us to, um, uh, to delight in what you have given us uh, because it is for our good and for your glory. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.